Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with David Say, who will be sitting in for Matt Watson today. David, what's up? Life's good. Yeah, it is good and 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 apparently brief <laughs> when it comes to the things we want to say. But I'm going to hear all about why you're here today. First, I want to get a couple uh, quick housekeeping things out of the way. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We can help you build your software development teams quickly and affordably. If you want to check out today's episode of Startup Hustle, you can do so on YouTube at the Startup Hustle YouTube channel. While you're on the internet, check us out at Startup Hustle Podcast on Instagram. Now, let's talk about why David Say is here. David, you are the CEO of Novo Nutrients. Is this true? Absolutely true. And for those of you listening, you know I love it when you're interactive. So I want you to go to NovoNutrients.com. That's N-O-V-O Nutrients.com. So you can see all about what we're going to talk about. So David, tell us about Novo Nutrients. What do you guys do? So basically, we make food and feed ingredients from industrial emissions of CO2. So taking things that would otherwise be greenhouse gases that would go up into the sky and um, enabling them to contribute to the food system. Okay. Literally taking the things that are contributing to global warming and turning them into something consumable. Yeah, uh, that's right. Okay. Well, that's admirable. Thank you for that effort. It's hard, but we're working on it and hopefully it'll be uh, something you can find in your grocery store directly or indirectly in the coming years. Interesting. So, well, what brings you to us today is your newfound affiliation with the Launch KC program. If you want to learn more about that or apply for a future consideration from them, you go to launchkc.org and you are part of the Clean Tech Initiative, which is also has a top level partner of Black & Beach. That's right. And it was um, Black & Beach that originally mentioned the possibility to us, encouraged us to apply and uh, They've been a remarkable partner. Um, the demo day is actually tomorrow when all seven companies that have been participating in this batch, um, are, and that'll be November 13th for those who are in a different time frame than us recording here. That, that um, will be in the past yeah. at this point. So we could have say as we attended demo day. I'll it was, be, I'll it be was there. fantastic. Yes, I, it was. I, I Your presentation was amazing, David. It, How did you do that? You know, it was it's 99% perspiration. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. So um, for those of you that aren't familiar, Launch KC is a local uh, business accelerator, although I don't really uh, like the word accelerator. I've even told them that uh, because what they do is they are working with companies that are what we will call Series A ready or companies that already have some traction and have created a little noise. Now, your company, you're from Sunnyvale, California, right up next to the valley, right? Yeah, we're Literally sandwiched between Apple and Google, so Cupertino to the south and Mountain View to the north. Sounds expensive. Unfortunately, it is. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty much the only thing an Uber driver will talk to you about is uh, the rising cost of real estate in the area. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I was just out there uh, for TechCrunch, and we actually visited some of your classmates. We uh, stopped and we talked to Electrify. 
Mufi was um, very, we had, we got philosophical at the end of that one. Mm -hmm. He's a uh, professor at Stanford. Mm -hmm. I did ask him if he could get me in. He said, no, it's tough. I know it's a bummer. I thought I was going back to school for a second. So, but anyway, um, you know, participating in things like Launch KC and different types of uh, accelerator programs can be really beneficial. And that's part of why you're here in Kansas City today. Let's, let's get started there. Like, you mentioned Black and Veach had mentioned what, you know, had tried to get you into the program, but how did you, how did they even figure out who you are? Like, where did, where did you guys create some, where's your traction begun? Well, I think it really comes down to two specific people at Black and Veach, um, Zach Olson and Kim Lovan, a couple of years ago started a new group there, which they often refer to as an internal startup mm-hmm. called Next Gen Ag. And I think Black and Veatch, I'm not an expert on Black and Veatch, but I think they have traditionally worked in a number of different industries, but food and agriculture has not been one of them. And looking around, Zach and Kim realized that there are a lot of new technologies in this area, and there would be a lot of projects for an engineering procurement construction company like Black and Veatch in the future, and it might make sense for them, in addition to working with established companies, to start grooming some promising young companies. And so... Um, my first conversation with Kim was uh, probably about two years ago. And then uh, around six months ago, um, they reached out to, to discuss this accelerator possibility. Um, and uh, yeah, we were quite taken with the idea. Engineering is not something that we have a lot of in-house, or at least at, at that time we didn't. We're, we're folks who are really good in the lab, but none of us has ever built a giant factory or you know, process plant. Yeah. And when you say engineering, so if you want to learn about black and beach, they're literally bv.com who has a two letter domain that almost says you're a player right there. That's so, right. But uh, black and beach has been around for over a hundred years. And when he says engineering, he means like literally like building buildings, plants, different stuff like that. And they're architects and uh, they, um, I think they have 60,000 employees, $5 billion of revenue. They're pretty significant, but um, I've had the privilege of of getting to know some of the folks over there. And like you said, they've got some internal startups and they're trying to, you know, so how, engineering and what you guys have a carbon capture um, process, well, that could be engineered into a future building. And that's where companies like them, are, you know, have, I think it's really cool that, that you, know, you got to be forward thinking with that. Like you're thinking about like, what, what do we want to be building in 10 years? I, I think that in this case, Black and Beach is looking even further out. Yeah. They really think, you know, they talk about the next hundred years. Yeah. Uh, I imagine the first 20 of those are probably the most important, but. Well, they've pivoted. Um, they've, they've changed and evolved over time. And that's like what they're addressing they're, you know, and they will like, it's really wild when you're sitting there talking and they're like, yeah, they, they and they will reference that next hundred years. Yeah. You know, like, okay, you're thinking about like, you're going to be long gone, you know, or whatever. But I think that's really cool. And I love that. I love socially conscious companies that it's just a thing, man. If you don't, if companies like yours don't get some help. We, yeah, I mean, there's uh, financial help. And then even more importantly, there's expertise. We have 12 employees. And and so naturally we're focused on doing a few things. Well, we'll grow over time, but a company like ours relies a lot on partnerships. So you guys capture CO2 and turn it in to, I mean, you're using, this is industrial biotech in some regards, and you're literally taking carbon dioxide and turning it into food for animals. Yeah. So it's, uh, and by the way, how'd you get into that? Uh, so I've been 
thinking about food for animals for quite some time. Uh, for me, it started with feeding fish. Okay. And not as well, I guess technically those are the only pets I had as a kid, but really, uh, I, I read a magazine article in 2004. It was, um, a feature in Wired Magazine about the future of aquaculture and specifically offshore aquaculture. So that's fish farming, shrimp farming, mm -hmm. oysters, seaweed, all that stuff. And that article was really mind opening, both in the specifics and in the, the context that it painted. So specifically, it was about the fact that we don't really use 99% of the, of the earth's water to grow food, right? We, we do a little bit in um, lakes and streams and and uh, coastal areas, but the open ocean is pretty much untouched. It's yeah. it's a place where, you know, you have sea freight going from point A to point B. Um, you catch a few fish, you drill for some oil, but it's mostly just sitting there. And it could be a tremendous resource. And so this article was explaining how some pioneers were going out and figuring out how to, you know, farm salmon or um, Mediterranean sea bass or you know species that we've never heard of in some parts of Southeast Asia. Um, and it was clear that it was a sort of multidisciplinary effort um, that involved regulation and ocean engineering and animal husbandry and biotech and logistics and new kinds of marketing and branding. It was, it was, um, and it also painted a picture for me for the first time of the global seafood markets. It wasn't something I had thought about, but it turned out that. Which is distressed. Yeah, it's it's yeah. both it's it's an area of great success and great stress, um, and that's because, you know, up until our you know parents' generation and and even early in in our lives, this was the last bastion of hunting. Seafood is the only thing that was primarily going out and catching wild animals to eat, um, and then you know farming of certain species started developing seriously in the 1970s and it's been the fastest growing major part of the world food system since then and today uh really just in the last few years farmed seafood is is bigger than uh wild catch both in terms of mass and in terms of value now let's pause there for a second because when you talk about farming seafood you i mean these are literally like enclosed areas like it's almost like you crops exist on an acre of land and they have created environments i'm correct with this there yeah general almost all aquaculture takes place either in ponds or in what are called or, or cages which are really net pens so okay. it's a little bit like fencing for the water sure. um those two production systems or environments account for the vast majority of but they're literally growing fish or they're, or other materials that are consumable right exactly it's, it's it's similar in many ways to farming chickens or pigs okay yeah and how big i mean and that's become a pretty major thing right i mean that's like yeah so seafood as a whole is actually the biggest um you know, animal industries, it's bigger than any of the meat industries. So seafood is bigger than beef. It's seafood is bigger than pork and seafood is bigger than chicken. And more than half of that is, is aquaculture is the farming of fish and shrimp. So that's where that started for you. Now, how do you end up saying, man, I didn't, okay, first off, I'll tell you, maybe I'm just ignorant, but I did not realize you could just literally turn carbon dioxide into food. Well, there were a lot of years, uh, it was 13 years from when, basically when I read that article to when I realized you could turn carbon dioxide into okay. food in that particular way. Um, and so I actually was lucky enough to 
meet my business partner for my previous company, which was called Aquacopia. It was a fund management company. We did seed investing up and down the aquaculture value chain. Um, and so I did that from 2004 through 2016, decided I wanted to get back into startups where I had begun my career, but not go back to the internet, but uh, stay in aquaculture. So I went out looking for an aquaculture technology. So you picked an even harder path than tech startups. <laughs> a different, a, a different path. I, I just say hard because, like, it's it, it's getting it, people to invest in things that aren't software right now is not the easiest thing. Getting people to invest in things that are capital intensive, yeah, is, and and, un, and, and maybe unproven, right? Exactly, very difficult. You're like, but we could change the world, and they're like, yeah, I need a profit. <laughs> I mean, exactly, and that's the thing is you need to find people who have the risk tolerance and the time horizons and the vision, and that's certainly the patience. not going to not going to be yeah. everyone. It's going to be a small fraction of the investors that uh, that you talk to. But you know, I want to point something out. We we're talking about CO two and food. Actually, all food comes from CO two, right? In that, it all starts with photosynthesis. And so, whether that's you know the leaves on green plants, whether that's uh, corn stalks or um, or wheat plants, uh, soybean plants, you know, they're taking sunlight and CO two from the air. And turn that into uh, energy and everything you know that they need to grow. In addition to a few things they absorb through their roots, um, and so it's, those are the plants that animals eat. Those are the plants that we eat. Um, so food food does all, always come from CO two. So and once again, go to novonutrients.com. You can find them on Twitter and LinkedIn under the same handle. So. You know, when you talk about turning CO2 into high value, low cost proteins or oils for aquaculture, like make that a little more real to me. Like, is, I mean, do you, are you like, literally, do you have a machine that makes pellets? Do you have something like, where is the, like, how does, how does a layman from Kansas that's nowhere near an ocean, um, uh, understand this? Yeah. Well, so let's work backwards. Um, so actually, Kansas is sort of the heart of the uh, pet food industry in many ways. And pet foods and fish foods are very similar. They're basically uh, brown pellets that are made with multiple ingredients. Yeah. Uh, so they have a recipe, the same way bread has a recipe with different ingredients. And the ingredients for animal feeds tend to be um, mostly plants, vegetable oils, and uh, what were called protein meals, yeah. like the way cornmeal is a, is a meal made of corn. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, like cows eat, literally just eat pellets, like big brown pellets. They almost look like the things that are on your yard after you aerate it. And so there are a lot of different things go into those pellets and some are more valuable than others. Uh, one of the things that's been very high value, especially in the last 20 years have been uh, these high value protein meals. So they're, there's somewhere in between um, a soybean meal and like the kind of protein powders that white weightlifters might buy at GNC. It's somewhere in the middle there. And um, actually, historically, even in, you know, if you look at, uh, at cat food, there's a lot of tuna in there in many cat foods. And that represents the fact that actually wild catch fishing has been a primary supplier of these high value uh proteins to animal feeds. And so our company makes ingredients like that. We don't make them out of fish. We make them out of microbes. And so if we, you know, go back further in the process. Um, it's a, it's a fermentation process. So it's quite a bit like making beer, right? In, 
in beer, the microbe is uh, is yeast, and you feed it as sugar, basically, in that in the form of grain, and that provides both the carbon and the chemical energy that uh, those yeast need to grow. And uh, alcohol is the waste product that they make, and that's um, that's why they're interesting for beer. We actually use at the heart of of our process bacteria, another kind of microbe, and because sugar is expensive and only available in certain areas, we um, use bacteria that have the capability to take CO2 gas as their carbon source and actually hydrogen as their energy source. The same way that you can have a hydrogen car, uh, there are a few of those now, that's the chemical energy that drives the car and that's the chemical energy that, uh, that allows these bacteria to grow. They are naturally high in protein. And so when you dry them out and sterilize them, you have yourself a, a nice bacterial protein meal that can substitute for tuna in uh, cat food or for anchovies in a, in a salmon feed. So when you talk about capturing, you know, CO2, now CO2 is obviously like the, the main ingredient that is causing problems with our environment and global warming and all this carbon. Like, are you, when you say capturing it, are you getting it from a source? Do you extract it from the air? Like where, I mean, what are, or maybe a bunch of different places, like where do you actually capture it from? So technically we're indifferent to the source of the CO2. Um, for us, it's about what is the CO2 that's going to be the cheapest, purest. Maybe we'll even get paid to take it from someone. In practice, the gases that we've tested and had good results on have been from the cement industry. So gases that are made in the production of cement and would normally go up a smokestack. We've tried gas-fired power plants. So the same places that are burning natural gas may well be that the electricity that's powering this podcast recording is coming from a gas-fired power plant, although that's that's a little less like the United States. Um, and from oil and gas facilities, um, there are a lot of, uh, let's put it this way, one out of every five tons of, of CO2 comes from an industrial source that might be interesting to us. Um, so are you, are you literally bottling it? So it the, the volumes that we're talking about when we're at commercial scale will be significant enough you wouldn't wouldn't want to put into canisters instead you would co-locate so that you would just be over the fence from your gas sources oh i see so, so you're going to basically pipe it right into whatever you're in more about the output not moving it exactly these um it makes a lot of sense to to find places where both co2 and hydrogen are available as either waste streams or or byproduct streams and set up shop there the kind of things that we make are um, shelf-stable enough and valuable enough that uh, it, it makes sense to put them on a train or a, a truck, eventually um, uh, eventually sea freight, and you know, ship them intercontinentally. That's certainly what's done with the, uh, with the current products that we'll be replacing. The legacy uh, ingredient is called fish meal, and that's the first thing that we'd like to replace. Um, but eventually you, know, with, eventually you could have more distributed production and each region that or even site that uses a significant amount of these kinds of ingredients could have uh, potentially a production nearby. So as far as Novo Nutrients go, like, I mean, is this a revenue generating company? Like, is this in play? And like, the, I mean, you have a supply chain or any of that stuff or like, where are you out in that process? So I'd characterize where we are as that transition between R&D and commercialization. So um, we spent some years doing the science and developing 
the technology, uh, doing projects that show that we can make it, that we can feed it to fish, those fish are healthy and grow. Um, but the scale up is a long process. I mean, you have the word scale in the name of the sponsor, right? Yeah, Full sure. scale and and in a um well that's always hard. That's yeah. the hard part. It's not the hard part to like have a good idea and, and think it out. It's the hard part to get people to adopt it, let you do it, and sometimes care about it, which I, I th feel like that third part might be one of the challenges you guys have. Well, it, we live in a, in a world where people are caring more and more about uh, the food system, about the health of the planet, uh, about – and. Um, for us, scaling is really, it's a very physical process. It's, right. it's about taking something that is, you know, three feet high today and making it something that's 300 feet long, um, you know, in five years. And that's not just one step for us. That's like a three-step process. And each of those steps is, uh, requires different design thinking, different engineering, different funding and um, we, we different uh, levels of adoption because you got to partner with the people that are creating the CO2 and do it in a way like I can't imagine that every single facility or use case is even applicable like for whatever reason who knows why I mean, I don't have to get into that but you know there's just like and and then I'm also like I, I would think that there's just like trying to get people to do anything new or different and that's the caring part. That's the part that, you know, it's not necessarily like, oh, I don't care about the planet. Let's spew CO2 everywhere. It's like, you can get, let's just be realistic. I mean, people are, don't often see past their own nose, you know, like they're, we're so busy doing whatever it is that we're doing that trying to change or, or do something different or disrupt their normal routine of things is, is, well, uh, not everyone likes that. And that's why when I was uh, doing my 15 month search for, an aquaculture technology to join the management team of make a small personal investment in. I focused on businesses where there would be uh, a clear economic reason for adoption. Yeah. And in this case, it's, it's lower cost. We think that this is probably going to be the lowest cost form of biomanufacturing. Uh, in fact, you know, we apply it to nutrients, but it has applications for bioplastics, for green chemical production, for, um, and, and this idea of using CO2 and hydrogen is, is not new to us. It's something that has been looked at in academia since at least the Soviet Union in the 1980s, but nobody's tried to commercialize it until the decade that we're in now. And, um, and so, yeah, we don't rely on, uh, folks being altruistic. Uh, we're really trying to appeal to the pocketbook with this new technology, sure. but well, why capitalism might've been the villain and some of the problems we have. I, <laughs> I often say capitalism is the cure. I mean, it can be because if you can make monetary sense out of a solution, that's like, Oh wow. Like you can, it's so much easier to get someone's attention with a dollar bill in your hand. Like, I, and I'm not trying to sound like, you know, like, I mean, it's just the reality, man. It's, and you know, you talk at these companies that probably need help with this, they're like, oh, we can monetize our waste. I mean, I would think that that would make sense. Absolutely. And and I think we're going to be far from the only people doing this. In fact, you know, my belief is, is in the next 10 years, we're going to see the development of marketplaces for waste. So the right. same way that we have, uh, you know, eBay for consumer 
for consumers and there are a lot of business to business marketplaces. Waste products are, or wastes are the things that are the, the most poorly priced. You know, there's very poor information about who has what, what you can do with it. And um, electronic markets are, are already starting to change that. That's interesting. Yeah. And so that's going to be true. You know, there's going to be bidding and short and long-term contracts for everything from sewage to food waste to CO2 emissions. Um, and so if you're planning on doing something large scale, and th so there's a natural interest in doing it with the lowest cost inputs, you're going to want to find a technology or create one that can use waste streams that are extremely plentiful um, and that not a lot of other people can use. That's the way you'll be able to guarantee yourself low costs into the future. I'll give you a much simpler use case. So recently uh, we uh, recorded an episode with Beer Paws, Crystal okay. Weeby. Hi, Crystal. And she uh, has deals with like 70 different breweries. And they have all this like extra grain mm -hmm. product that they're just going to throw away mm -hmm. that they, you know, that from the production of beer and literally they turn it into dog biscuits. And I mean, this is like in some case, I mean, and why, why is this clever? Because literally, literally oh, sure, take it. You're doing us a yeah. favor <laughs> or sometimes it's something. And then she can turn back around and like also use them as a sales channel. And these, these are just like, there's when, and you know, look, Global warming is not a myth. If you have a problem with my, me saying that, don't listen to my podcast either because open your fucking eyes. Like this is a real thing. And like the world's melting, there's problems. And, and one of the things too is like the population of the world is growing and we've got this. And what I love about your solution is so we use so much food to feed our food. Mm -hmm. And that is becoming, that's going to become a problem. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what, you know, I'm, I don't spend, I, I'm not as brave as you are, David, because once I get into the knee deep into these problems, I start going, oh, wow. And it becomes really overwhelming. And I'm sure you, you know, like some of the process you talked about with just getting your arms around the aquaculture and stuff, I, you know, all the different things and steps. And you're like, oh my God, like it's going to make so many, just the number of steps would make everyone quit. But, but that is, the, so with that, that increasing world population and the demand on food sources coupled with a possible strong change in environmental, like some places that grow crops like Kansas is apparently, according to one of our prior podcast guests, is like fifth in line for the, high, the highest candidates to undergo desertification, which I didn't even know was a thing. But yeah. now I'll tell you what, if we, des if we go through that, this whole state's screwed because once you get about 10 miles west of Kansas City, it is wheat, corn, soy, and maybe hemp <laughs> in some places. And if that can't grow, good night. And that'd be a major, that would be very majorly impactful. And now you can't feed all that food to your other food. Is that part of the play here? Absolutely. You know, I think, sorry, I didn't mean to get on my political no, soapbox no, there. I, I just get, I just think it's like, you know, well, like global warming shouldn't be political. I get it. That's right? what it's, I have it's my science. Point. Yeah. Um, so look, um, the world is going to need to produce 70% more protein, um, by 2050. Uh, that seems like a long time away, but 70% is Dude, a lot. That's like getting towards, yeah. it's getting towards doubling what yeah. we do today. And we just don't have that much more arable land, water for irrigation, you know, ability to make fertilizers and pesticides and all the other things that we need. And so, you know, you're right. This is a, a big undertaking that can be daunting, but rather than try to solve the whole thing, 
you know, at Nova Nutrients, we're focusing on what we think is a meaningful chunk. Um, but we're trying to sort of really narrow our view and focus on that. And but what we're talking about is is kind of fundamental because it's a way to de- to create a new pillar of the food system that can be decoupled from agriculture and decoupled from fossil fuels. Because you don't have to stop by feeding this to fish or cats. You know, people should be able to eat this as well. And that's not something that's going to happen overnight. I think we got to count on companies like Impossible and Beyond to do. And what do they do? They make um, plant based foods. The Impossible. I, I saw, I can't remember who it was. It was even a major player. It was like Kentucky Fried Chicken just launched like an alt, an alt plant, like chicken type product. Hey, it's a step. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You can get an Impossible Whopper at Burger King's nationwide now. And uh, in all likelihood, the meat case at your grocery store has a Beyond Burger and a Beyond Sausage at this point, or you can go to a Carl's Jr. or, or whatever. So these are really and By growing. the way, if you've been eating at McDonald's all this time, you haven't been eating as much meat as you think you have <laughs> anyway. So so wrap your arms around it, people. Yeah, I realized that the, uh, the Subway chicken sandwich that I have from time to time, apparently that uh, chicken patty is only 60% chicken. Wow. That's the, uh, the one that looks like white breast meat. And I have intentionally avoided <laughs> trying to see what the other 40% is. I'm going to say allegedly, um, don't sue me, Subway. I, I should do my homework. So, but um, uh, focus on fixing your PR after Jared <laughs> and not on Novo Nutrients. <laughs> so, so yeah. And, and, and that's because, you know, hydrogen can essentially come from renewable power. Right. Um, you know, you think back to 10th grade chemistry. You use electricity to split the uh, H2 from the O in water, and, and that will become less and less expensive and, and will be a really good way to um, to transform electrical energy into chemical energy. Um, and uh, yeah, and then if, if people are eating microbial products, then it takes the burden off of doing additional plant production or animal production. So we really see ourselves. And by the way, that's where so much of the, the carbon footprint comes from. It's like, you don't think about it, but like literally cows farting is like, is like a huge par- problem with the environment. Cause we're so meat centric and it's, it's an issue. And you know, that's uh, you know, you gotta get, you gotta challenge that. I mean, there's, it doesn't, it sounds like a weird thing. Like if you weren't aware of that, I did not just make that up. You, you did not No. the, the um, Animal agriculture is, is a very meaningful portion of um, greenhouse gas emissions. It's probably not as big as as uh, some folks have been publicizing, but it's something that should be definitely controlled and reduced. There's not just one silver bullet solution to all this stuff. We've talked about this on the show before. Like it, it requires like a whole Lego set of Legos that have to be stacked together to like fix things. And, you know, we're making some progress, you know, things like wind power, you know, and stuff like that are making a huge difference. And, and I sometimes pick on my home state of Kansas because 10 years ago we were like literally like number 48 or something out of wind power. And now mm-hmm. we've come up mm-hmm. because there's a shitload of wind here. And, you know, that's, and that's important. And, you know, these, these are things that don't require like a whole lot of issues. I should see some weird articles. <laughs> Someone's like, yeah, but what about all the, the waste product associated with the propellers? I'm like, really? I'm not going to, I don't have an issue with that. So um, (laughs) before we get too far off track now, recently Novo Nutrients, and once again, go to NovoNutrients.com where hopefully they outline how they make some of these things better than I've tried to describe. David's quite adept at it. I am not. Um, But recently Samsung 
Um, let's talk about the awards and the acknowledgement that Samsung has given you recently. And recently means, uh, yeah, the end of last week, I think it was Thursday. Um, Truly recently. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Less, less than one week ago. And so um, Samsung is, uh, is one of the sponsors of a competition called XTC, which um, recognizes startups that uh, that they believe are contributing significantly against the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So, in, which include many of the things that we've been talking about, yeah. um, making water and food and climate and and people's diets better. Um, and uh, so, we were approached by. Um, someone on their corporate at the Samsung corporate venture capital team made us aware of this competition. The deadline I think was like a week away at that point. But so we put in the application, explained what we do. We were chosen um, as part of 10 finalists for the Area region out of uh, 188 applicants. And, um, and then uh, we pitched to a group of folks and were selected uh, for the top three, which are the ones who are going to, you know, get on stage with the president of Samsung Electronics at this big 700-person uh, Samsung CEO summit, and also more importantly, we had a chance to to have a demo booth. Uh, there were about a half a dozen or ten companies there. Uh, some of them were the other ones were Samsung portfolio companies, and so there was just a stream of interested people coming by. We could talk to them about what we're doing, and uh, I guess we've qualified now for next year's global competition, which will be in Paris in the spring. Um, so it's, it's one of the awards that we're, you know, we're proud of in part because of its recency. Um, it's always nice to be, to be recognized, especially by folks who do this kind of thing for a living, who yeah. evalu evaluate new technologies and have a really good view. Of, I think it's of good to landscape. get val validated or recognized for a lot of stuff because, I would imagine on a lot of days doing stuff like this can feel somewhat thankless. Absolutely. I mean, we, other than the earth, thanking you <laughs> well, and the earth is, is very, very quiet. I was going to say quietly it's whispering like, in the middle of the night, you know, when you. We, we, if we are gasping for air, thank you. if we succeed in reducing global temperatures by, you know, 0.01 degrees at some point, you know, that's the, because they're actually we're going the other way and not yeah. up. That's why that's significant. Yeah. And, you know, another technology that we're excited about, and, you know, I mentioned earlier that we are sort of agnostic as to the source of CO2. We would be extremely happy if the folks who do direct air capture companies like carbon engineering, mm -hmm. uh, get costs down to the point where that's an affordable source of CO2 for us, because then we're not just providing a second life for carbon dioxide. That's, would normally go up a, a flu stack, smokestack, but in, we get to actually use CO2 that someone has taken out of the air. We that, could that spend some money that we've been using to build a wall on some of that. Maybe that could help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe, 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 maybe help save our planet. I got to be honest, man, and I normally don't make politically charged comments. It's like three today, which is maybe three of five in the history of the podcast, mm. but I get kind of shitty about this stuff. Cause you know, I get a three-year-old and a five-year-old and I'm kind of like embarrassed and terrified for like so much that has gone on. And you get things like, you know, you got a garbage patch in the Pacific ocean, the size of Texas, like for real, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, but you know, they're making some efforts to do some stuff about that. But you know, the, I mean, these are things that matter. And 
Um, you know, I, I really got to take my hat off to you and anyone that embraces these kind of things. I've had so much fun and have found such com interesting, compelling conversations with all of the participants in the clean tech and really opened my eyes. Like when I was talking to Mufi at Electrify, like I, everyone's like, yeah, we switched to electric cars. Yeah, that'd break our power grid. Mm hmm. Like there has to be some thought and consideration. It's like, you know, you think like, oh, well, here's the solution if we all switch, but literally couldn't handle that either. Right. There are always unintended consequences uh, that have to be uh, yeah, thought through. And I just think it's amazing. That, and like I said, I commend uh, uh, anyone that chases these things on behalf of the rest of us. And I, I don't, th I think that people like yourself, and that's why I'm happy to see you get recognition from Samsung. Did they give you a check? Did you want any money? It's funny. There was a, there's a photo of like the big check kind of thing being handed over. But it's just got a zero companies. on it. It just says it, 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 there's no, it's not a check. It's shaped <clears throat> like a check. Um, it's a, it's a photo op prop, which was int interesting, but no, um, well, maybe that check represents being on the radar to get a check because you were contacted by their venture group. Yes. And, yeah. and you know, the truth is that checks ultimately come from attention. Yeah. Right. It, oh, yeah. In the venture community, that's that's like putting up a flag saying, you know, yeah. come over here. Well, these are little things. Have you actually raised money? We have. Um, our biggest investor is the Grantham Environmental Trust, which is a value investor. Jeremy Grantham and his wife, Hannah Lore, um, have been one of the big environmental philanthropists uh, through this trust for the last 20 plus years. You know, they were the have been the big check writers, I think, for WWF, the World Wildlife Fund and not Conservancy. As far as I know, they're not into wrestling. I don't know what the environmental impacts of wrestling are. It's probably they're not. They're minimal. If we had more <laughs> wrestling, I think we probably have a cleaner world, right? Um and uh and notice that he blew right through that comment. <laughs> well, I wanted to get to the fact that in twenty sixteen they started doing direct venture style investing. Yeah. That supports the goals of the foundation around ocean's right. health, food security and um climate especially improving the oil and gas industry um and actually um i'll be making an announcement tomorrow or well in the past for listeners but at the uh at the demo day um about a grant and partnership that we're um entering into with the uh oil and gas industry mm -hmm. with one of the world's largest emitters and so i'm very uh very happy about that and uh i think it'll it'll clarify the picture of how we can really get involved in carbon capture and utilization and the, the scale of the parties that are interested in, uh, in doing something to, uh, to improve things. Well, that's once again, very commendable. Um, so for those listening, novonutrients.com, check it out. So we like to end our episodes of Startup Hustle with what we call the Founders Freestyle. So I'm going to buy you a couple minutes to think about what you want to say, but really uh, due to the conversational nature of the podcast. And, you know, for those of you who want an inside look, before, I, before we hit record, we literally sit down and I say, look, I'm not going to interview you. We're going to talk. Um, but with that, you know, the conversation can go any number of different ways. The Founders Freestyle can be used for a number of different things. You can pitch what you're saying. You can you can do whatever you want, but maybe leave, leave anything you've left unresolved. You can give advice to other people. You can really, you know, like we said, we kind of turn that over to you. Um, is there anything that you would love to say to the world of listeners? Yeah, I think, you know, aquaculture gets a bad rap. And so I think I, I want to talk a little bit about yeah, why do it. 
why parts of aquaculture are, are really great in all in all kinds of ways. And so here's the thing: it's it's a it's a big world. Um, it's easy to look at one example of a, of a fish farm, and that creates a broad brush to paint everything else. But the truth is, it's it's just like regular farming, right? There are places in Brazil where they're cutting down rainforests to plant more fields of soy. That's obviously you know bad agriculture. There's you know aquaculture is a much younger field, and as a result, um, you know mistakes have clearly been made. There have been some bad actors, but as a whole, it's improving, and it just takes time for humanity, civilization to figure out how to do things in a better way. And there's some really remarkable aquaculture uh, companies out there, farms, which are paying a lot of attention to the quality of the product, to, to limiting their effect on the environment, or making it an enhancing effect instead of a damaging one. One that you know comes to mind first because I was uh, involved in it way back in the day, 2000. Six, I think I made uh, the fund made an investment is uh, Open Blue Sea Farms in Panama, and so they're just farming in this pristine Caribbean waters. It's like the furthest away from shore, so it's far away from uh, sensitive ecosystems. They're growing this remarkable fish called cobia, which has traditionally been an angler's fish, but turns out farms really well. is is white and mild and sort of richly buttery. Uh, You're making me hungry. It's uh, well, I, I actually haven't had lunch yet, so I, I'm having <laughs> the same tell. effect on myself. <laughs> and so, what we're going to see, you know, it's related, I think, to my my comment in some ways about waste markets. All markets are going to be better at transmitting information. And so, when you walk into your grocery store in a couple of years, there's going to be a lot more information about what makes this piece of fish different than this other piece of fish. And it's not about just what country it comes from or whether it's wild or farmed. It's going to be about how it was farmed um, increasingly. And that's because, you know, in the in the very near term, if you look at if you find three fish at the grocery store, two of them are going to be farmed. Only one is going to be wild. The wild one's going to be a lot more expensive and uh, and may well be lower quality uh, from a culinary perspective than the farmed ones. So, um, yeah, I just would encourage the listeners to to think about that and also think about the fact that the environmental impact of uh, of eating a farmed fish is is just dramatically lower than a piece of steak, um, and and can be less expensive too. So it it really uh, is something I'd recommend uh, you know getting at your local restaurant or uh, or picking up the next time you're at the grocery store. And there you have it, the very first founders freestyle on aquaculture. You know, I, I'm going to close this out. And I'm going to I'll keep it brief. You know. We belong to the earth, not the other way around. And I think that humanity often confuses that, um, you know, and and the thing is, is, is really in the end, if the earth wants to come take itself back, it will. And it will use another billion years to heal and figure it out. Um, we don't have as long of a runway. <laughs> and um, I think overall, if you get a chance to support or do anything that is related to the solutions that are trying to fix the future. You know, I think that's an important, important thing. And it's tough. It's tough sometimes because it just is. And there's a lot of different options. There's a lot of different things, um, you know, and it's, it's once again, there's no silver bullet solution to fixing some of the problems that we've created for ourselves, but um, you know, making a little bit of effort, uh, 
to, to do some of that stuff is good. So, you know, you look at, at Dave, the story that David told today, and once again, go to Novo Nutrients and learn more about it. He's looking at his fish tank 20 years ago and thinking about aquaculture and thinking about the stuff. You know, I mentioned taking 13 years to say, wow, we could make something useful out of CO2. And, you know, the idea you have now could be the business you run later. I mean, most inventors are working on a very lengthy time frame like that. So, you know, continue to think about what the future might hold and and your good idea now could be the startup that you wrap your arms around later. And I think that that's pretty fair to say. And I want to point out also, I'm not the inventor of this technology. Right. That's, that's Brian Sefton, but I did recognize it and, and together we're building yeah. this company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, and, and hey, you're part of it. And, you know, that's, and the thing is, is like, I mean, you clearly have to be around a whole bunch of smart people to get to pull this off. I mean, this isn't like, there's not like, you hear about the inventor of anything these days, and it's really more like a, probably like a hundred people that, I mean, a lot of people participate in a lot of these different things. And, and, you know, I mean, I think it's pretty cool. I want to, uh, I'm going to keep my eye on this and, and see where this goes. You know, there's a, there's an alternate alternative protein boom um, in a lot of ways. And this sounds like this is just part of it. And it's, it's really funny. I had someone pitch me recently about investing in a cricket ranch. Mm-hmm. And I said, for what protein? And they're like, yeah, it's like a huge source of protein. I was like, well, I'm going to pass because I don't know anything about agriculture. I don't know anything about crickets and I don't know if that's really the right thing for me, but clearly, you know, you look at some of the interesting attention that, that some of this stuff's getting. Insects, uh, low barriers to entry. Though. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> They're everywhere people. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to go uh, try to figure out how I'm going to change the future. See y'all next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.